They sayeth history doesn't repeat itself, but oft rhymes. According to the present-day guest, we are in the midst of the greatest renaissance since the, well, the renaissance. Welcome to the crypto renaissance, paralleling the original renaissance in many ways. NFTs art, the new masterpieces, and NFT collectors art, the new Medici family of Patreons. The present day's guest is Josh Rosenthal, PhD, a former late medieval renaissance and reformation historian, did turns repeat crypto first investor. This entreatment is unlike any other we have done ere so not renaissance in yon sense but we are all up in the middle ages and the present day in this going medieval line thine ass episode number 590 of the lacking valor crypto podcast Masterpiece Theater. No, no, no. Welcome to the bad, the lacking Valor Crypto Podcast. How, how did we come upon this translation? Oh, this is a, uh, so basically I wrote the teaser and then translated it into the Shakespearean version because <laughs> it seems as if, you know, we needed to go medieval on thine ass. Yes. On thine hiney. <laughs> oh my Welcome. God. You, you busted up laughing so much on that one. We had to react because that was That's, funny. That was funny. Maybe you guys will get some of that in the uh, the Easter egg. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the lacking valor crypto podcast, as we would have been in thine Shakespearean era. This show today is full on epic. Uh, producer Aaron walked out of the uh, studio yesterday, came downstairs and said to me, oh, my gosh, that Josh Rosenthal interview and she like she was just unbelievably taken with it it's so informative and it the good news is he does a lot of talking we do less yeah and you know i think we uh it's it's um called for to do a shout out to uh, to mike stelzner mm-hmm. of crypto business podcast i believe he's the one who forwarded his information over to us and um we were blown away by him he this interview right here is is not only informative historic but it's also really fun because he's a phd but he is pretty hilarious and, and full of piss and vinegar he's yeah well that's because he drank all the vinegar and then he came and pissed it everywhere is that what happened? I, was, I was understanding how that happened yeah something like that hey listen let's give a quick shout out to our show sponsor before we get started and you know, they don't even really have to say it's a sponsor because we are customers of the Brave Wallet. They're the first secure crypto wallet that is built natively in a Web 3.0 crypto browser. No extension is required. You can store, manage, grow your portfolio, get NFT and multi-chain support more. Download the Brave Privacy Browser at brave.com forward slash bad crypto. Click the wallet icon to get started. You know, they've got over 42 million monthly active users now so brave is super awesome screw google get the brave browser chrome eats thine hiney yeah chrome eats thine hiney (laughs) oh man screw google yeah um i want to actually just mention this right now because this is like breaking news right now so i find this interesting 
But Solana has been having a lot of problems lately, right? Mm-hmm. And they had they had which so much so that we moved the NFT project uh, that we were working on Solana called Soul Shamans, but Soul also means sun, and so we're launching on on Matic. But they had a DDoS attack, which which basically clogged up the network, making it un, unable to launch any new smart contracts. Then they had that huge hack, and they just two major problems. Well, they just had right now. They just popped out. Um, the, there was a uh, that Solana's NFT marketplace, Magic Eden, um, had had some major rug pull stuff going on over there. But they're doing all they can to actually prevent that in the future. And you know, the other day, OpenSea had some crazy stuff going on with it, where there was some some ne'er do well out there had created a, an additional smart contract and was emailing people and and getting people to you know authenticate this fake contract which then basically transferred their nfts over to them like this is a crazy game so this is the crypto renaissance folks but you still got to be careful you got to be smart you got to be attentive you got to be methodical and pay attention to what's going on you cannot be sloppy or you could lose all of your pixels and you do not want that to happen. So, uh, in fact, our next episode really goes deep into cybersecurity. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more after this renaissance interview with Josh Rosenthal. When we talk about the crypto revolution, we're talking about a real definitive change in the way that we as a society operate. It's not about when Lambo, when Moon, there's so much more to it. And recently, my friend Michael Stelzner of the Crypto Business Podcast and of the Social Media Examiner and Social Media Marketing World, of which I'll be doing the closing keynote in March of this year, talking all about Web3 and the future. Uh, he introduced me to a gentleman. I, I heard about his story and I thought it was absolutely fascinating. His name is Josh Rosenthal, Dr. Joshua Rosenthal. He is a former late medieval Renaissance and Reformation historian turned repeat crypto first investor. That's fascinating enough. But what really caught my attention is the comparisons that Josh draws between the then Renaissance and today's crypto Renaissance. We're going to talk all about that as we welcome Dr. Joshua Rosenthal to the show. How are you, Josh? Hey, I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Excellent. You you said that you do very few podcasts. You did mics. You did Bankless, and they were Bankless was very well prepared, right? <laughs> they were. They were. They did their research. They were. Uh, it was super professional. Yeah, we are not that. I think it's, Travis it's came up with a tagline for. Oh us. yeah, we're like Bankless, but way more shitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way. <laughs> But by, <laughs> we're, by we're bad. Actually, Bankless started way after us, so they need to catch up. But um, no, they're 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 pretty uh, locked down on how their approach is. I think this is I think this is fascinating uh, the conversation that we're going to have today because you know I remember I think Vesa came on. We were having a conversation with Vesa when we were launching his uh, his blockchain or his uh, Bitcoin Elite thing, and he was talking about how the crypto world is sort of like the new Patreons, the new Cosmo de Medici. And then I think, you know, the Medici family. And then I think people are becoming more aware of the Medici family because of Snoop Dogg naming himself on Twitter, Cosmo Medici. And um, 
It's just, it's just interesting. So what are some of the parallels that you've seen so far, Josh? Yeah, so I probably I probably have a different take on it than uh than a lot. So first of all, it's good. And that Snoop Dogg is your take going to be different than Snoop Dogg's? I you know Double isn't Dizzle. he a Renaissance historian? A doctor? That, that would be a fantastic. He's a PhD. A Snoop PhD. You didn't know? <laughs> no, what he's doing is great. But um, when most people talk about Renaissance, they or you know NFT Renaissance, they get the idea that the Medici, you know, they basically got a lot of money somehow. And then all of a sudden they tried to buy their way into culture. And so they bought a lot of art and were patrons. And then there's this flourishing of like highbrow art. And now we're in a similar thing. And I just read it very, very differently. I read it, uh, you know, anyone can be a Medici. Like what basically happened is they were a family in the middle of nowhere, you know, not really doing too much. And then they discovered they were the first to adopt this like revolutionary technology at the time. It was called ledger-based accounting. It was double entry bookkeeping. It was literally debit and credit. That doesn't sound like such a big deal to us, but it was revolutionary at the time. It was, uh, you know, the advent of the Renaissance. It was a rediscovery. They went back to these dusty old books and basically said, oh, I get it. Debit, credit. And that prevented centralized accounting. It prevented false forks. It created, you know, speed of currency and even allowed small loans. You know, people could basically keep a little ledger. Very similar to even, you know, blockchain technology, how we talk about it in terms of ledger-based accounting. And what happened, just like, you know, this time is basically there's this advent, this explosion of uh, of finance, you know, at a speed and latency and iterative, you know, kind of dynamic that the world had just never seen before. So you're like a medieval farmer. You've never been able to leave your land. You've never been able to get another job. You haven't really seen art. Your whole world is permissioned where you can go, what you can be, what you can own, how you can spend your money. And all of a sudden, these Medici guys, they start using this and then they're not the only ones. And now capital you know, takes off and it explodes, starts out hundreds and then thousands and tens of thousands of loans. And you know, historically leads to the advent of what we call proto capitalism, like a proto mercantile environment. Like you no longer have to do what you're told. You're able to have access to capital to do other things. And at the same time, you know, there's another there's another advent of a permissionless technology. It was called the printing press. You know, it's very similar, not just to our, our internet, but to Web3 and permissionless and its dynamics. And now all of a sudden ideas are flying around. Authorities and failing institutions can't tamp it down. And you have these different ideas that the, the tools of hierarchy and hegemony are no longer legitimate. You're not just reading Gutenberg's Bible. You're reading Martin Luther, who's a consummate shit poster and like showing pictures, you know, woodcuts and etchings. You're seeing art for the first time. You're seeing, you know, people poop into like, you know, the hats of power authorities. You're seeing demons, you know, poop out these institutional hierarchical guys. And it occurs to you, wow, this might not be legitimate. Maybe I can, maybe I don't need permission to live my life, to get a job. And now you have capital and you have ideas communicating in a way that the permissioned middlemen couldn't tamp it down. And so you have an explosion, a rebirth. That's what Renaissance means, recreation of society, you know, at every level. From Did finance. you call Martin Luther the commensurate shit poster? Oh, yeah. Now, uh, all of this, I mean, all of this, yeah, absolutely. If I showed you some of these images, your eyes would pop out of your head. It's uh, Oh, I need, I need my eyes in my head. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, Martin Luther was absolutely a shit poster. Um, you know, the academics, the former... You know, the former PhD or historian or kind of, you know, those folks, they talk about it in terms of scatology and, you know, demonology is like the titles of the books you'll read on it. But he had woodcuts of, you know, demons pooping out his adversaries. And, you know, he was responsible for like half of the printed material at any given year. People, it makes Stephen King look like a non novice, right? Like, I just, well, just so we don't get comments, he's talking about Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, they're going to be like, what? 
Because there's some uninformed people out there in the world. I mean, as I said, we're worse than bankless. So our low, we have some lowbrow people here. No, it's like, great. I mean, that's the point. Out, nothing. You're racist. Now that's, a, that's the point. It was lowbrow. Like before in the Middle Ages, you know, a certain elite had power. They had land. They had money. They had control over communication. They defined what was appropriate, what wasn't appropriate, what was acceptable in artistic domain, what wasn't. And with these two new technologies, this distributed finance through ledger-based tech and this permissionless communication protocol, like specifically through a printing press, they're able to kind of circumvent these people and get the middleman out of the way. And now ideas and finance are flying around. And it was popular. It was like lowbrow. Like we think of the Renaissance, you think of these oil paintings and Botticelli and, you know, Medici commissioning this or that. Most people didn't see that. Most people saw these woodcuts, these flugschriften, these, uh, these, you know, etched copper etchings or wood etchings that were printed of, you know, a demon pooping out this guy that was in control of your life and uh, with a snappy tagline. It was the first meme, right? And it was hilarious. It basically was like a sharp knife poking at the illegitimacy of these like failing institutions. Like, you know, we don't have... For us, it's like money printer go burr, right? You're saying this thing is illegitimate. Snap it down into a few words and show an image, and everybody gets the concept. But it was all low brown. They were memeing demons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That, that's a great NFT set right that's, there. The memeing demons. The memeing demons. The memeing demons. It's not bad. Yeah. So all of that was you know bottom up, and like what we think of as highbrow, you know, was lowbrow at the time. It only becomes like highbrow after you look back and say, oh yeah, that was uh, that's a pinnacle of, you know, what have you. But yeah, the Medici didn't, just like in the NFT Renaissance, like the Medici didn't buy their way in and say, oh, I'm going to legitimize my place by buying my way into culture. It was this very specific, they were new players on the scene. Within one generation, they took the, the papal seat and the throne of France. They came out of nowhere and like dominated the culture. And they did that by using this technology. And then the art wasn't just buying their way in. With their art, they recrafted identity. Like they specifically said certain things that were off limits were going to make, you know, within limits. And so previously there's only holy versus profane and you couldn't do stuff in the profane. So all of these images you're looking at, they're they're reinterpreting what's important. And the Protestants like Luther did the same thing too. They did it with uh they did it with vocations. You didn't have to be a monk off in the hills not talking to anybody. You're you had value by interacting with your community and your family and actually your job. And so it legitimized capital in a different way. Um, but that's basically the thesis that there's a number of different renaissances. We've forgotten about them all except for the last one, you know, 500 years ago. The last one succeeded because communities used two types of decentralized technology. One was around communicating value, the other was around communicating information, and they were able to take down these failing institutions. And like that was so great, it eclipsed all the past ones. And like when I looked at crypto and got back into it, and I said, holy smokes, this is the same thing we saw last time distributed communication of economics that's unstoppable and permissionless, permissionless communication that can't be censored in a web three stack, not just internet stack. And if history, it may not repeat, but if it rhymes, like here's some things we can expect. It's like a once in a millennial opportunity. So we know it rhymes because rap is so big right now. So, you know, history has got to rhyme. You know, I, I like to think that we probably did have blockchain technology even before the Renaissance, maybe all the way back to the caveman days. Like if somebody owed you money, you go, you'll pay me. No, I don't owe you. Oh, yeah. Hit you on the head with a block and string you up with the chain. There's proof you owe me money. Yeah, it's immutable. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. It's uh, like one way to think about it is what changed? Like, why was the last Renaissance successful when the other ones weren't there? That's a great know. question. I wish I had asked you that question. Let's pretend <laughs> I did and answer that.
<laughs> That's a great, great question, question, Joel. Joel. Um, no, so Joel, to your point, there were these technologies previously in different forms. Um, but the last, when you combine the two of them, you know, sharing value and sharing ideas in a way that was unstoppable, you know, where every other attempt at, you know, bottom up uprising or revolutions were, you know, crushed down, this last one wasn't and it succeeded because the nature of the technology was permissionless. It didn't require this middleman to, to sit in the middle and say, you could do this or could do that. And so it essentially tore down a series of these failing institutions from finance to power to political to cultural. And as a result of that, you know, there's this call it, you know, primordial mess where, you know, it kind of gets to the, the question of what drives history. Is it like, you know, great men with ideas? Like, is it means of production? I actually think it's communities working together in social coordination using these two types of technologies. And so last time the authorities weren't able to crank it down or crush it, you know, it placed them in check. What are they going to do? Like they can either ignore the technology and let it get away from them or they can use it and thereby they like legitimize it, which is what they ended up doing. So it tore those like hegemonic, you know, aggregated institutions down and then recreated a series of political, economic, socio-cultural like institutions that we have today. That's why they call it like a rebirth or a renaissance. And it's like very tight historical rhymes you can point to. Yeah. Great historical rhymes. Talking about it all the time. <laughs> back in ancient yeah. times. Yeah. And right. hey, Travis, to your point, like the idea isn't just like it's a wealthy elite that bought their way into society, but that anyone, it's bottom up, anyone can participate in it. And so they're mm -hmm. redefining what was powerful and what was important. And on on the artistic side, each time this happens, like the the people use identity and images to say what's important, what's not important to communicate ideas, right? They're like loaded with semiotic, they're, they're loaded with signs and symbols that have like important. I can communicate, you know, all sorts of like, ideas about what's valuable and how I should act and like how we can like take down an institution with just using a symbol or an image without having to write paragraph after paragraph. And like they use the new technology, the message is baked into the decentralized technology each time. When they're looking at those woodcuts, like that's like their AR, VR, they've never seen that before. It's like baked into the technology and each time to the power holders, it seems like weird and odd. And so that's like one way to think about, you know, NFTs, we're seeing, we're seeing art using the technology in different ways following some of these like dynamics like in the middle ages art was hierarchical and like it was like you're an artist you're taking a ticket or taking an order punching a ticket and then it became more you know patronage aligned it was more co-creative there was community around it people could play different roles and again we're seeing the same thing with nfts like using the new technology decentralized the idea of who's creating who's co-creating what's the provenance on chain is it uh is it uh, basically generatively spun up, things like that. It's like very, very similar. Um, and again, it looks weird to the power holders, like until it doesn't. And like the end game is it, uh, it basically unfolds, creates new institutions, new societies, and like a, a renaissance until you don't even notice it anymore and you don't even think about it. And 500 years from now, there's a few jackasses sitting around and some guy like me saying, hey, at that last renaissance, the big one, like back in the, you know, 2022, this is what happened. There'll be, there'll be three jackasses sitting around talking though, and they'll, they'll be very much like us. They'll be bad. Trav, you had a question? Uh, otherwise, I've got a, a really good one. Well, I, I think that, you know, it, it really seems that this the renaissance this time has, you know, well, we got Bitcoin started popping up, but, but memes. It seems like memes were maybe the start memetics and the fact that people are using images much like political cartoons back in the day. Right. And it's like memes are the new political cartoon. And then 
the, it upsets some people so much that they try to ban certain ones. Right? Like, oh, you can't be using Pepe the Frog. Oh, you can't be using the OK symbol anymore. Like, they're trying to cancel symbols and memes. Like, they're trying to give them meaning that doesn't exist. They are. That's so true. So, right? like, did that exist back in the Renaissance? We were like, oh my God, there's this, there's a meme and demon that's taking a shit in a hat. Yeah, this yeah. is bad. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they're taking a shit in the papal tiara, to be clear. And so there's all like the churchmen and the Holy Roman Empire looking around, and this peasant is like shitting in the empire in the emperor's hat, right? It's like that's unacceptable. There should not be poo in the emperor's hat. Yeah, no, it's like it's so profane. You can't and like for them, it's like a symbol of power and authority, but it's also like it's the it's the structure of their lives, right? Like uh the political, the military, the economic previously all their opportunity and like the idea of permission was like cascading down from that center of power. And so you basically like shitting on it is saying like, this is completely illegitimate and there are snappy taglines. There are little jingles. Like that's how people understood the ideas. They weren't reading formal academic disputations, academics. Like we love talking about that. That's not what people were looking at. They're looking at those memes and absolutely they tried to ban them. Like power holders tried to KYC the printers essentially and tried to register them and hmm. like some people complied and some people didn't all it took you could go off grid and you could kind of skirt around it that's kind of what I mean when I say like the printing press like you know the web two guys talked about as if it were the internet but it's not like when historians look back we're in this weird little phase like DARPA AOL 40 years of the internet when they look back they'll only see crypto like if you're using decentralized like protocols to communicate ones and zeros that stand for value or for ideas like it's the same thing like we're in this weird little epoch where like we had a bit of decentralization but it won't happen again you won't have another arab spring they know how to physically cut the cord that's why web 3 is a stack using things like helium and things on the broadcast layer important and so too they know how to like virtually cut the cord by filtering the results of what you're seeing basically so it doesn't make it to the top of your feed that's why doing things on our weave like open index protocol and these things are super important as well and so like the internet, as we will know it in the future, will only be Web3 and that'll be part of crypto. We won't even think of it differently. Until yeah, Web4 yeah. comes along. You know, <laughs> you use words like epoch that would definitely classify you as an academian, but you don't talk like an academian. You should have a, a rather stuffy accent and you must be British. I don't, I don't sense that you're British, Josh. I can wear tweed and smoke a pipe if I have to. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, I'm here in Kentucky, so I mean, you can't be too hoity if you're. No, he's academianish. No, but I used to like that world was. That's what got me into making the comparison between mm -hmm. Renaissance and and crypto, right? Like I literally PhD Fulbright at the Sorbonne's Institute for Advanced Study, which is like the most prestigious, you know, interdisciplinary think tank arguably in the world. You're sitting down with mm. CERN scientists. You're presenting research. I've been in these archives where like no American has been before reading through 12 different languages and like shorthand. And what I'm reading is how they're doing accounting and how it's changing, how they're sharing ideas and how people are essentially recreating the failing institutions of the world. And so when I saw crypto and saw the code and yeah, I started a couple other companies in AI and sold them to MIT spinouts. And so I know the, the web two world well, but essentially when we've sold our latest company to a public company, we vested out in 17 and I said, got super deep into crypto basically saying it's not just spot trading it's not shit posting on discord these are the fundamental tools of history that we've seen just make epic change and hey travis to your point like another great question what you're getting at is like what's different with this renaissance right is it just a rehash is it just an iteration or a rhyme or is it something different and like 
the thing that happened, you know, the medieval world was hierarchical, permissioned, and then to, people used, you know, these tools of decentralized economics and communication to unravel all that and recreate, you know, the modern world as we know it, right? And then slowly things stacked back up. You can think of history as a pendulum swinging back and forth, maybe going up like between decentralized and aggregation and like things re-aggregated, nation state formed, Fang and economics, you know, it was concentrated again. And the t one of the most effective tools they used, one was language and the idea of permission, what was acceptable versus not acceptable. Ooh, Something for us to think about that's today. That's timely. Yeah. How does Very that timely. end? Let, let, I want you to put on your, you know, a little bit of yeah. historical futurist hat. Um, and maybe it would be good to put things in context too, like the last Renaissance um, who were the big winners? Who were the big losers? And how yeah. does that rhyme or repeat now? What's going to happen? Yeah, no, those are those are great questions. So, so kind of putting back on, and this is something you're not supposed to do as an academic, right? Like this is like you get uh, the 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 cardinal sin that basically gets you excommunicated outside the academy is if you make your subject relevant to like modern day things going on or if you make predictions. So like, yeah, I'm, we I'm we don't care what. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. more than happy to do it. Yeah. It's a uh, no. So I think. Uh, so I think if you view this as ticking and talking between aggregation and disaggregation, you know, these, these decentralized technologies like unwound, you know, the hierarchy, basically early modern air, you have like this burgeoning of, you know, culture, a new class, everyday people, farmers getting into it, you know, able to do a new job, do what they want to do, advent of literacy, change of commerce, a flourishing, all the good stuff we think about in terms of renaissance. And then slowly, like the power holders, like clawed their way back into re-aggregating things. And they did that through communication, specifically taking back control of those tools, not by taking hold of the printing presses themselves, but a, a much more subtle approach to it, where they defined what was polite, what was not polite, what was acceptable, what was not acceptable through like hierarchical or like elite social consensus, bookmark that. And then the other thing they did is there is one great chink in the armor that allowed them to, you could carry your currency in a ledger, you could basically share ideas, you know, in a, on a printed sheet. But if you want to own something, you still had to have it on a manuscript in an archive interpreted by jurisprudence, which basically meant your ownership wasn't uh, wasn't distributed. So that's one of the reasons why, like, number one, Web3, there's like a social issue, like we'll be able to broadcast, you know, disintermediated, but what different pockets of people find define as acceptable is like an open question, like, so let's bookmark that. Number two, like the thing I think we have in this renaissance, which we didn't have in the last renaissance, and it's a superpower, make no mistake about it, are NFTs, not as pixelated cats, but like as the idea of an on-chain contract, which represents ownership to assets or experience, either in the real world, like how they started with real estate, or, you know, in a synthetic world. And so that's like, that's one key, you know, superpower that, uh, that was a huge choke point last time that's now on chain. So that allows, that makes me much more optimistic. Like the future opens up and people basically kind of make what they want of it. I think we're at a crossroads. We're either going to create a new version of what we had before, aggregated wealth, money, you know, neobanks, uh, you know, FANG 2.0, or we're gonna like live out this version of the Renaissance where we actually create like all sorts of like, I would call it like pluralistic, like opportunities in the sense of like governance acting as like a thousand petri dishes or as a thousand flowers like blooming. Historically, if this Renaissance rhymes with last Renaissance, what you're going to see is it follow a teleology, follow a path where it starts with finance and then it moves to art and culture and then it moves to work 
and then it moves to education. And then finally, call it like new worlds, metaverse, IRL, where crypto becomes meaningless and we don't even, we don't even use the word anymore. Just like we don't use the word internet. You're not an internet business or an internet fund. It's, it actually acts as a small as an economic engine for small business and individuals. like Perhaps, perhaps from a higher level though, Josh, like I guess the real question that we're looking at now is we see uh, those around the world trying to exercise power over whole populations of people and control them. Is, uh, is this renaissance going to lead to the dystopian hellscape that, you know, sci-fi books and movies have been produced about for the last you know, 80 years or so, or uh, is, are the people going to prevail and be the writers of history here? Man, I think it's an open question um, and it's probably both at the same time. It's a very open question, awaiting yeah. your open answer. Yes. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll have a, I think it ticks and talks basically, right? So I think we'll have an unwinding, we won't have a dystopian hellhole. Like I actually think like, that's what I was trying to say. The NFTs are actually, it's not like we're all going to transcend this physical environment and go off into the metaverse. I think NFTs are going to be these two-way doors that actually like link the synthetic to the virtual or to the real. So you can work in the metaverse and like enjoy the, enjoy your Lambo here, or you can work here and actually like have freedom in the metaverse. Like, I think it will be like a flourishing of freedom. I think people have a very tough time like cracking down in the way they did before. If I had to bet, I bet it will ultimately play out very similar to kind of the, the geopolitical setup we have now just in a synthetic way. And what I mean by that is like uh, post Bretton Woods, like communism, us, them, basically we talk about these things, first world, second world, third world. Like it doesn't mean rich or poor. It means capitalist, communist, and everybody undecided. I literally think crypto is going to be like that new geopolitical access basically. So it'll be not whether you're pro crypto or con, but what type of crypto you want. Do you want decentralized crypto, stable coins, DeFi? Do you want centralized, you know, new synthetic currencies or, you know, nation state currencies? And everyone will realign around that. And so you'll have pockets pop up, you know, pro crypto like regimes and like, you know, different centralized crypto regimes. And if you really think about it, even the question might be like crazy. It might play out very differently. If you ask the political theorists, they basically say, hey, nation states are nothing but imagined communities is their terminology instantiated by made real by currency and contracts and that's literally what crypto is it's a consensual community like grounded in currency crypto and contracts nfts and so i think it's going to be like an open question i think there'll be pockets of liberty and i think there'll be like a real fight going on just like cold war endured for so long you had pockets on each side i think that's what we're going to have this time it's just a different like z-axis on the political grid mm. you don't think they can like at some point just try to say block those sort of those sort of transactions from going through the the infrastructure or they're saying like hey you know because india is trying to ban it you know china's tried to ban it and they've done a pretty good job of eliminating it i mean in some cases vpns aren't even helping you you know what happens if you know more nation states decide to sort of disallow the offboarding of uh, crypto to the bank accounts because that's what's kind of happening is like and then I think that is that when the pockets sort of start appearing? Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly, you know, you can say China and India are banning it. They're not. They're taxing it and they're using their own version of it, basically. So I think they're going to be they're going to be first. They're going to be them. There's going to be a group that takes the side of it. So they're going to use crypto, but in very specific ways that give like, you know, that basically give 
aggregated power centers advantage. And then there's going to be another group, which is going to be like capitalists that says, no, we're going to go along on this other side. It's an open question, like where the U.S. shakes out. I will say this, like, yeah, I built companies, AI companies and sold them to MIT. And like AI has baked deep in its like, into MIT spells, like AI, AI has baked bake deep into its code an asymmetric advantage you know it gives the advantage to the big guy who's monitoring everything and like panopticon style looking at stuff crypto is very different that's why we're all in like repenting for academic sins and sins of ai like we're literally crypto gives asymmetric advantage to the little guy to the resistance it empowers defense over offense mm. so i think Love you're going to see that shake out you're going to see one side versus the other side. You're going to see India and China do centralized currency and tax the, the hell out of it. And on the other side, you're going to see a whole bunch of other people in the new geopolitical like alignment pop out. And then third parties play both sides like friend of friend. But I think at its core, crypto gives asymmetric advantage to the little guy. And like that's why I'm also talking about Web3. Like not just as a trendy thing saying a new thing, but thinking through it like all across the stack, right? Even at the broadcast layer. Like Helium, for example, is like broadcasting. It's all over China. China can't crack it. it. Can't They can't copy it like they did to our Web2 telco. They can't shut it down. Like Forbes is writing about it. Like we'll be able to broadcast at each layer of the stack. Like there's an overlay of like where you are in your crypto nation versus where you geographically reside. And like as a historian post-wars of religion, like I'll tell you, yeah, a lot of people fear that. I think it won't play out that way. Like as a nation state, you get an F if you have to use force on your people. You've you fail to do your job. Mm -hmm. You get a C if you if you have to threaten force, you get a C. It's not great, it's not bad. You get an A if you don't even have to threaten it. But if the idea never pops into their head, just like you as a medieval farmer, it never would have popped into your head to to go off and start a start a start a storefront or to share some of these crazy meme ideas we've been talking about. And like the tools of control, like lately have been very subtle but very effective so i don't think it's going to play out on a technological protocol blocking layer yeah it'll be some taxes travis for sure i think it's going to play out much more subtly around identity and i think that's going to be like pure play hegemony like tools it's going to be subtle tools of control through observation and through defining what's right and acceptable versus what's not right and acceptable and like i bet on crypto and decentralized communities cracking that every single time because the nature of social organization is baked into the nature of that technology that's a lot to throw at you. We can go higher or lower. But you can throw way. all the stuff you want at us. We're we're good with that. Like <laughs> especially if like you know you throw poo at us, we'll just duck. We know how to avoid. We'll just all put that. it in a hat because yeah, that's what you do. Uh, speaking of, so uh, you correct me historically if I'm wrong, but um, Martin Luther was in the the early 1500s. Is that yeah. right? And and so Martin Luther uh, basically looked at the the um, the traditional Catholic Church in that era and said guys this is bullshit um the things that you are teaching are not the things that christ taught and i'm going to make 95 points about this here that are wrong i'm going to write them down and i'm going to take it and i'm going to go to the church door uh, the wittenberg church which uh, was in was it was it germany it was in Germany. And I'm going to nail these to the door, essentially making a statement that well, we've had enough of your shenanigans, uh, which, of course, gave birth to the Protestant movement, of course. And I, I don't know how many of those 95 theses we would uh, the things that he accused the Catholic Church of doing, we would still see happening today. But the question is, and, and I saw this uh, written in some of your works, is, is it right to compare Satoshi Nakamoto to uh, as today's modern day Martin Luther is the Bitcoin white paper, the new 95 thesis. 
Man, that's that's a no. That's a that's a spot on question. So, yeah, to take that to take a step back and just give you a little bit of context on it. So, for Luther, you know, part of it was theological, but the church wasn't just the church. Like for us, we say, oh, the church is just what we believe privately, and all the real stuff happens out here with economics and with politics and with military. For him, the church was the the state. The church was the uh, was the the source of economics. It was the source of political, you know, arms. It was the source of, it wasn't the church. Like we think of it separately. It was all of the medieval hierarchical institutions controlling. The Vatican. Oh, excuse me. I had a sneeze there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was a, uh, so that was part of it. So when he was taking aim at it, he was really, of course, he published a lot of technical theological things like priesthood of all believers, which flattened the cosmic hierarchy. But so too, that had ripples in flattening your job hierarchy, this idea of like the vocation doctrine vocation, where it was good and right to like work in the community, in the world, work with your family, actually run a job and a shop. And that was like good and holy. And so you see the art start to reflect all that. You see things outside the religious, you have this ubiquitous fruit bowl. If you've ever wondered why you see the fruit bowl everywhere, because that's saying like the stuff in the world is like good and valuable and has meaning. So Luther was taking a shot at all the hierarchy from, you know, ideological to religious, to economic, to political, to military. And he basically went at it like really specifically. He went at it by going back to the source code, to be honest with you. The Renaissance is all about ad fontes. It means back to the sources. And so there is all this cruft, right? This may sound familiar. Centuries and Did decades. Did you call it ad fontes? I thought yeah, that's what happens when I drag the true type fonts to my... <laughs> I had fun no, like back yeah. to the source. And honestly, that's all these guys are going back to the like double entry bookkeeping. The Medici used it was back to the sources. It was plenty the younger in North Africa. They dusted off a book. And so Luther was going back to the source code. There wasn't centuries of medieval cruft institutional lawyers and bankers saying this is acceptable. This is not acceptable. Jurisprudence, someone talking about a decision that happened previously over century after century. He raised it all by going back to the sources. For him, the source code was scripture. So he actually went back to the Hebrew and the Greek, not Jerome's Vulgate. But what he found there was, was something very specific that said this institutional cruft is illegitimate. And so, yeah, he pounded up these theses, which is like, that was a technical academic debate. He didn't want to have it with everyone. He put it on the, the Wittenberg door, not because it was uh, for everybody to see. People couldn't read it in Latin. He actually put it up for a very specific like academic debate. He, he didn't want a revolution. He didn't want craziness. He wanted to just kind of massage the details and start something new. Um, and ultimately, the power holders said, no, we're not going to let you like challenge our authority that way. So it spun out. And so Wittenberg, the high-flying academic you know, that's writing in Latin, is also Wittenberg, the barroom brawler, literally, who's like writing these like shitpost memes where 50,000 of them are posted all over the place. And that's what took the world by storm. He didn't intend to have that consequence. And for like quite a while, he was anonymous. He was like some monk, some drunken monk in the middle of nowhere. He wasn't any power hub. And like before that, historians don't really know what to call what was happening. We only say Reformation or even Renaissance after he posted that thing, that document. Once he did it, then we could name it. And then it took on a life of its own. But isn't Same that thing. an act of aggression, like going to the church and na nailing these on the door? By the way, drunken monks, another great idea for an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the monk was like the university. That was like a, the university bulletin board, right? And so it spiraled out of control. He wrote this idea, and then basically they challenged him. And then they said, "We disagree. You need to back down." And he basically said, like in German, so it sounds swankier, like "fuck you." I'm not going to. Your source of authority is completely illegitimate. I have the source code. You're craft. And so like it spun out. But that document that he started, just like the short answer is he didn't envision it forking the religious, socioeconomic, military, like political source code, which is what happened. Like same thing with Satoshi. 
Like, so Satoshi, like really interesting. It's a, you're publishing something anonymous and basically like it's so revolutionary you may not have wanted to split all reality he may or she or they may not have wanted to split nation state to split banking to split like socioeconomics and cultures but they did or they're going to we're right at the advent of right now they absolutely will be doing that and like it, it unlocked this like massive like movement that was bigger than like anyone early, any of the early adopters, just like with Luther ever could have imagined. Like even if he or she intended crazy aggression, it wasn't as aggressive and as crazy as like how it's going to play out. And like for us, like just like we look back at that act of not nailing up the stuff up on the door and we like make it hagiography, we like say that thing was so powerful it showed that it was like so illegitimate the institutions of the time that actually defined the air. And like, now we can talk about the Renaissance and reformation, like retroactively the same thing with like Satoshi and the Bitcoin paper. It was like so epic in intended or unintended consequences, or it will be as it plays out in history. Like historians 500 years from now are going to look back and say, that was the moment they'll be able to name it and say, that's when reality forked when like nation state, when socioeconomics, po political culture forked, basically it'll be like that absolutely epic and like the other way it's similar is for the early adopters like it's weird in history most times when you have these crazy historical revolutions it sounds paradoxical or ironic but like the people at the time don't realize it they're, they're not aware of how crazy it's going to be the bigger the movement the less aware they are and so like at both instances the people at the time were sort of unaware it happened slow 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 and then fast and like when it got you know wind beneath its wings like all of a sudden the participants were aware of their place in history which is like crazy like this is a renaissance like it's not bullshit it's not hyperbole technically historically this w is a recreation and like historians will look back and say when they say renaissance they'll think of now and like we just like then have the opportunity to participate not just like not only to witness it but to knowingly witness it and to actually participate to like shift outcomes to manage unintended consequences like to try to exercise responsibility so it doesn't end up like a shit show like last time but like we actually have like pluralism like ability to speak freely different communities able to like organize self-willed like all sorts of crazy things like that's my hope at least how it plays out i've always said that travis is a renaissance man <laughs> You know, it's like I, I am an ENTP, and there's a lot of. If you go through the uh, the personality types, it's like it's like I think I'm like Da Vinci and Socrates and some of these other ones, but I'm also like General Mao. So you, and Kissinger. So it's like there's that good side of things, and then there's the bad side of things. You gotta watch. You gotta watch out. You gotta. Control you guys are in this side. now. You're in this right now. You are like Renaissance men. We like, are true Renaissance. We're cryptozons. Well, it's we like, actually realize, are. We are lords. <laughs> I, I know. I've seen the vibe. It's like you realize how early you are, and like you've got it, and oh, you're yeah. sharing it with other people. It's like that's like that's literally like Da Vinci and the Medici. Like to your question, Joel, like who won and who lost? Here's who won: the early adopters. They didn't have to be smarter. They didn't have to be better. They didn't have to have more money. They didn't even have to be like more socially polished. They just had to participate early. Like the Medici were like family podunk in the middle of like nowhere. One of their houses, Southern France, adopts the technology before they're like uh address before anyone else did right and like bam they capture like the the greatest institutions of the time that family takes the the papal seat and they take the throne of france within one generation they weren't faster smarter better same thing with everybody else you just have to be early and like participate in it it's, that it means all y'all listening y'all win 
Y'all are winners. Everybody tuning in to the show, part of yeah. the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, you Seriously. win and you get to go take the throne of France now, which should be really easy to do. Just be able to walk right in. And- yeah. And I've said yeah. this. I've said this for a long time is that for, for two millennia, well, almost two millennia, you know, the, the peasants and the serfs and, and the citizens tried to wrestle power away from the throne and the church. And now here we are again trying to wrestle power away from the global banksters, the ones who print the money, right? And here we are having this crypto renaissance where that's one of the reasons why Joel and I honestly, I, I was a top digital marketing guy, marketing technologist, working with Silicon Valley companies. I started to see the censorship. I started to see the left wing sort of mentality clamping down on freedoms. And then I started to see how, People were being demonized if you didn't have the same belief. And I'm very central. It's like I have a foot in leftist ideologies and I have a foot in right ideologies. But it seems the left has gone so far that it kind of pushed me like way over and I'm not normally there. And so it's just wild how humanity is in a big wrestling match right now, it seems. Yeah, yeah. No, that's back to Joel's question, who wins and who loses. The the people with like minority beliefs like win basically too, right? We don't have a printing press right now. The internet is not the printing press. Web3 is the printing press. Like the printing press allows you not to be clamped down, not to have the, the cord cut basically. Like that, that isn't the case right now. So we're like, we're doing this very early. We're doing this where there's just a little bit of it floating around. And so like, if you have like, you can still be, like, look, you, you're a medieval farmer. Like we are right now. We're only right now stepping into the Renaissance, right? You think you can share your money? You can't share your money. You, you don't own your stock. You own an IOU that some guy at Robinhood or Fidelity gives you and they can yank it at any time. You think you can spend your money? You can't. Like I was trying to buy something for like Bitcoin conference for a team member. Amex said, I'm not going to process the transaction. Not because it's, I know it's not because it's fraudulent, just because I don't like the idea of it. You think you can share your ideas? That's what I was saying. Like the tools of censorship are more subtle. They're not going to burn your printing press. You don't have a press. They're going to like cut the cord through the broadcast layer. Like Russia and China are awesome at that. They're taking lessons with Egypt right now, or they're going to do it subtly through the algorithm. So you don't even know it. So like only right now, and it never even occurs to you to do something different, right? Like that didn't occur to you just like medieval you the farmer it never occurred to you if i told you to join a dow 10 years ago you wouldn't have been able to process that like the technology didn't exist nor did your mental model would you have been able to do it so like right now as we speak are we seeing very very early unfurling of like the the renaissance we're just now getting cryptocurrency in any meaningful way that has access to retail in a way DeFi that can't be like you know taken out and just right now through through web three, which is super early and embryonic, but like Travis, to your point, like we don't have an open internet right now. We're starting to get that. Like things like, are we, you gotta go up and down the broadcast stack. Like that's the truly like epic historical unfold. And just like last time that decentralized technology, it wasn't just currency. It wasn't just ownership. It was also a business model. Like imagine replacing every piece of your web two stack with like something generative where you own it because of your participation in it or in the real world where you own it, like participate to earn, like that opens up like all these different like scenarios around that. So like, it'll be like really interesting to see how it plays out like governance, thousand flowers blooming from here on out. But yeah, I predict a massive geopolitical like realignment, not capitalism versus communism, centralized crypto versus decentralized crypto, not just CFI or DeFi, but like specifically around identity. And like Joel, to your point, I think the tools of control are much more subtle. 
you know, they're not burning you at the stake. They're, they're using the tools that worked last time at yes. the advent of the nation state. Yeah. Yes. Like I don't, I, I think it'll stay me metaphorical. Like, the, like if they're good at what they do, which they are, they'll try to have these ideas not enter your head. They'll clamp well, they down. They deplatform people. It's hard to avoid that. People are being deplatformed and demonized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the yeah. mainstream by the nah. church, as it would be. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly right. That's like their churches are like consensus, or, or like what happened last time. It's like our consensus. We're at this overlap until we get like decentralized open internet. We're seeing pieces of that, right? You're seeing R wave. You're seeing the ecosystem work. You're seeing things like Open Index Protocol replace Google Index. You're seeing all the stuff but it's early it hasn't yet hit but you're like you're a thousand percent right in terms of uh in terms of like how that plays out with pluralism like if they're good it's not going to even enter your head that's the same thing last time after the wars of religion and you had this brief period of pluralism where you had different beliefs different ideas of what was acceptable and everybody was quote unquote coexisting like they popped up and they said hey uh, it never occurred to you you're a member of a nation state. There never was an idea around that. Hey, guess what, Joel Travis? You're members of a nation state. You're a Frenchman. You're a German. You're here. And that gives us rights to observe you, to control your property and your ownership. And you basically are now part of this. And so, mm -hmm. like, yeah, they'll deplatform you. Like, right now, everybody says, oh, that's just for the crazies. That historically doesn't work out so well. Like, the crazies today are you tomorrow. Just wait your turn. So we're right. in this race, basically, between when we have a real internet, a real cryptologically based like communication protocol that allows not just free speech but like dissent and like part of it honestly i think is generational to be blunt with you like i mean the idea of like utopia around one shared chain if you want to do polychain versus like central protocol or utopia around one shared set of beliefs like i'm i'm not up for that like we're polychain we have like many different positions and like i'm gen x i'm down for like pluralism in every form and function like the idea of dissent uh, even technological dissent is better than even the most decentralized protocol and the most like consensus based like idea of what's acceptable to say and what's not acceptable to say. That makes you like polychain amorous. I love all the <laughs> chains. I'm, I love them I'm good with that. Um, no, no, I, I just actually in a complex system, I want multiple chains. I want there to be resistance. Right. Right? There, like, there should be. There should be uh, one topic and then we've got to close out. I want to hit sure. up on this, though. When we talk about um, Web3, it's you can't ignore the NFT world with, you know, apes and pigs and goats and all of this. Is this the new Renaissance art? Um, we know it's not a fad. We know it's not going away, but it's much more complex than right click save as. Yeah, so no, that's that? in some way like we're not going to remember the internet. Crypto is going to be the real internet and web three. We don't have an open internet yet. We will, it will be web three. Same thing with NFTs. Like we might not even remember crypto. NFTs might be the superset for everything. And what I mean mm. by that is like, which I, I know it sounds crazy, but just like stick, stick with no, me. No, you're speaking my love language. Like, like in the sense of like, and that was the tool of control that like power holders, like crypto is really about taking out that aggregation, like wealth and like power accumulation, redistributing it to like everyone along the long tail, right? That's what I meant by asymmetric advantage to the little guys. And so like NFTs allow you to do that, not just with currency, but through contract. And so that literally gives you like ownership of things that are real and things that are synthetic and let you communicate value across those multiple layers of reality, which is crazy. I don't see like metaverse, you know, gnostically like going off into the ether. I see NFTs grounding the synthetic metaverse into IRL, like the building I'm sitting in is a function of like that protocol, right? Like that lets you do that. And so NFTs are going to be the superset, like literally allowing you to do that. You might think of, you might think of like what you own 
as determining your what you pay for, which would be currency, and like how you express, uh, how you basically talk about it. Like where I reside with my identity is a function of what I own, how I pay for it currency, and how I communicate. So the NFT giving me ownership might actually be the thing that we think of as crypto future historians. And like I think the real fight, the other secret superpower of NFTs, like last time the the power holders used on off chain contracts as documents I was looking at to re-exercise, to take things back over. Like NFTs prevent that. But I think the real superpower of NFTs is their function of identity, right? Like pooping in a hat isn't just pooping in a hat. They're writing like, they're writing like tracks on like the shitting as a holy act, like resistance and defiance and pluralism against power holders. And like NFTs literally let you do that in the sense that they are going to function as identity. So Joel, I think the real firefight isn't going to be just purely nation state geopolitical. If the, the people who are in charge are good at what they're doing, they're going to try to control your Overton window. They're going to kind of try to control what you think is possible versus what you don't think is possible. Can you be a farmer? Can you do something else? Should you say this? Should you say that? And so like, what you think of is going to be a function of identity and nfts are identity they're literally saying this is my flag this is my symbol this is my badge the things i'm saying are tied to a technical chain and they're also like putting me in a group it's like a tool of social coordination and that's why you see interesting things like nouns or loot even if you don't like those those are like ideas of new corporations or projects so like it's going to be a fight for identity and like part of that is going to be pluralism. Can you say certain things? But it's really going to be around group formation. And like NFTs is if you think of having semiotic like import loaded with mimetic desire because they're worth things. It's like a new form of social coordination. Call it the corporation. Call it the group. Call it the farmer's grange in the middle of you know rural Kentucky. Like that's going to be the firefight. So NFTs are like absolutely going to like be the most important thing in crypto. Not because of their, their pixelated cats, but because they're on-chain rights that bridge both worlds, just like print did. You never thought of like a synthetic world before you're reading print at the time. And in our case, because the fight is going to be metaphysical, it's going to be much more subtle in terms of observation and what's allowed. And NFTs is like identity formation is going to be the hammer that cracks that. Mm. I don't know thank if that's too for, esoteric. No, that's like, thank you for giving academic credence <laughs> to that, which we, you know, we already believe, Trav. I mean, we know you don't have to explain to us with academic terms that NFTs are the future, but I think you just addressed it in a way that, you know, it's your own Wittenberg uh, door right there. You just kind of nailed NFTs to the door. Academics are always the last ones to the party. Like at each revolution in history, like uh, basically it comes from bottom up, communities coordinating through value and, uh, and uh, communication, which is really identity in our case, NFTs. So like if I can leave the listeners with like one thought, like honestly, this may all be bullshit, like Pascalian wager. Like if you participate, mm, you wasted some time, you learned some technology, you met some other people, maybe it's not worth it. If it's like right, it's a once in a millennium like turn that and there's tight historical analogies to make me think that that is the case that will like redo your position early adoption is tantamount and like you get the epic opportunity not only to watch it but to knowingly watch it and to participate to not take over the front the throne of france but to take over like a chain and participate and like topple these institutions and like recreate the world like with massive opportunity so too the flip side of the coin is responsibility like what we do with that so like i'd encourage everyone like you're part of a story that's been echoing throughout the centuries you're part of a massive community that's like engaged throughout like eons and like you get the opportunity to do it knowingly like don't miss your chance and do so responsibly please i love it thank you so much for coming on josh and talking about your thoughts from academia i find that most academians are academasses 
because they've been indoctrinated so much. But once you get to my sister's a PhD, she says that most people who got their bachelor's and master's are basically just they're just going to regurgitate what they're told. But the PhDs and the MDs are the ones that are actually have the critical thinking skills again. And so we can tell that you have thought this through and you, my friend, are not a sheep. You are a friend of the show. Thanks. Hopefully if the show does well, like I'm gone, nobody remembers me and the future academics are mining like the archives and saying, hey, remember that time like Bad Crypto was doing that episode? They got it right. Just like the early guys watching Luther got it right. The crypto renaissance is here, folks. Amen. Amen. Did we tell you that was going to be good? Listen, we told you that was going to be good. It might have even been great. I don't know. Talking like so schwitzy. What is this accent now? This is nothing to do with it. What, what what is the accent you just stumbled into? I don't there? know. It was it was like it, it was, was like the German Jew, <laughs> just, and I made up words like spitzy. I don't. Is that even a word? not a made up word that is used amongst Jewish people when you're when you're schwitzing, you're sweaty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you maybe have said that before, so I picked it up. I had no idea what it meant. But, Travis, uh, you're you're schwitzing over there. Oi, you're oh, making uh, you're dripping like a mess all over that. Oi, what am I gonna do? I used I used deodorant. It smells like roses. Mm-hmm. What an interview. What an interview. What a cool guy. I want to have him on. We could have talked for a long, much longer, but I think we had another interview popped up or something right up next to us. So we, we had to end it, had to cut him off prematurely. And, um, but you know what? Wow. I hope you guys got a lot of value from that because I mean, that tells you where we are and we're at a time now where the, and you know what? Vessa, Kivenin, uh, he had mentioned this before. We had had a conversation with him, and he was talking about how this is the new renaissance. He had mentioned that about a year ago, I think. So it's really cool to have a PhD come on and talk about this. We, we actually just interviewed Veza like on last week's show. <laughs> it so just was, seems like a year. We had a conversation about that. There was like oh, yeah. um, when we were doing when we did the uh, the, the the Bitcoin collection, yeah. And he did a video and was talking about that, like the Medici family, and here we are mm-hmm. now. The new Patreons are the you know the the Ethereum investors and the crypto investors are you know basically changing art and this whole decentralized thing and how they were talking about the Medici, how Josh talked about the Medici family and how they they introduced the ledger technologies, which then basically. In one ways, it was good, but on the other ways, once they had the ledger technology set up, then you had the goldsmiths doing fractional reserve banking, which then kind of evolved into where we are now in a huge mess. And then hopefully crypto can kind of bring it all back. Thou hath some new reviews on iTunes. Um, Joe Chapman, two fifteen. Travis and Joe, thou hideous, hell-hated strumpets. <laughs> uh, no, actually, Joe gave us five stars. He said, amazing show. Can you guys do a strong coin block episode? I don't know what that is, but maybe someday. Uh, and- we would crooked patented mumble news. <laughs> You're translating still. Never chase stocks. Right? Pouchy, muddy, metal miscreant. Great show, guys. Always get some good laughs. Pretty sure Travis was drunk in episode number 586. That might be true. Oh, thou spleeny, hell-hated rebellion. Not what a bastard he is. <laughs> bastard, mangled, rug-headed codpiece. I have a Suck. question. What What is your uh, What's your favorite Quentin Tarantino film? I've been on a little oh, bit of a tear Quentin watching them again. Definitely Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Okay. Interesting. I, uh, well, I watched... you know what I do? 
I love, I've seen Pulp Fiction the most, but Reservoir Dogs was just iconic. I love Reservoir Dogs. Also. What, what's yours? Pink, Mr. It's interesting because neither one of those are my favorites. I uh, I liked Kill Bill 1 and 2 a lot. And uh, Django Unchained was just amazing. Such a freaking good film. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the Hateful Eight. Mm. But I also like um, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Well, then he had that one about the, what was it? The fateful night in Hollywood or whatever it was called. Uh, yeah. Like, once upon a time in Hollywood, I, you know, I didn't, didn't care for that one did not resonate that much. Maybe I'll go yeah. back and watch it a second time. I, I, I enjoyed it. Cause it was just kind of wild. Like it was interesting how he tied in fiction with like the real story of what yeah. kind of was going on. And then just the dynamic between DiCaprio and, and Brad Pitt. It was just, it was, it was interesting, but I mean, Jeez, like Pulp Fiction was just such an iconic. When when Pulp Fiction came out, it was just like, wow, here is somebody new who. Because I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs, I saw Pulp Fiction. I was like, holy shit, what else has this dude done? Mm -hmm. And uh, then he brought that. So are you bringing this out for a, rep, a reason? I know he's doing some NFT stuff now. Um, yeah, he is doing. And no, I'm not bringing it out for any reason other than my mind just went there because I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm gonna go. Maybe I'll go pull up uh, one of them tonight that i haven't mm. seen recently oh thou artless ill-composed barnacle you'll do no such thing how does uh one in a shakespearean way get us out of the show mm. does somebody have sure. to die i hope not <laughs> it's gonna be shakespearean somebody always dies in the end mm -hmm. Soft, well, what light here. through yonder window breaks tis tis travis and he's going to say And as each moment stayeth lacking valor. <laughs> Stay bad, bitches. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.